0: Namo tasa bhaka vato vara sam Namo tasa bhaka vato vara putasa, Namo tasa bhaka-vato-vara-hat-to-vasar-māsaṁ bhuta-saṁ bhutaṁ bhuta This little meditation is a, a kind of very simple example of how we try to live a contemplative life and in a contemplative life one one is concerned about uh, really coming home and well, at least this is the way i see it and so that it's my suggestion to feel the heat in the body to uh, listen to the sound of the plane going by to. Feel the posture. To hear the fan, these are simple things. They're ordinary, but they're in the present moment. And when we make the effort to pay attention into the present moment, without desire or fear, we're not uh, we're not averse. We're not averse to the sound. Neither is it sort of fascinating that we're so enthralled by it that we're absorbed into it. We're just very neutral. So it's just very, very neutral things, and um, notice them, and then notice that the awareness itself is not the condition, it's not the heat, it's not the pressure in the hands, it's something about our capacity to be aware, which is bigger than the changing sense experience. And in, In the Thai tradition, we say it's the one who knows, puru, or awareness and clear comprehension, um, so there's different ways it's described, mindfulness but there is this capacity to be present and to know what's going on and not be not be fighting it not be trying to get rid of it or if we are fighting it or' trying to get something else to know that as well and that sense of knowing is is what way to look at it is our is our real home that the other things are certainly part of our life so my body is a part of my life and my my relationships with monks and family are part of my life, and um, the things like my glasses and the water, they're all part of my life, but they're not really reliable and not my real home. And then finding a real home, a sense of knowing, being present, being clear, is quite ineffable because it's not, it's not extreme. It's not something that is necessarily deeply peaceful, it can be. Well, it's not—it's uh, not driven by excitement. It's not motivated by fear. It just simply is knowing—knowing knowing these things as they come and go. Uh, beauty, beauty has a certain power on our minds. Beauty can be helpful, but beauty has a has a magnet to it that attracts us. It's not wrong. And then ugliness and and uh, things which repel our senses—they also have a power over the mind because they pull us in a kind of Negative way. So, if you think about how sense consciousness works, as a kind of uh, like magnetic poles, if you have the part. If you have the, the the positive and negative poles, then if you put positive positive, it repels negative negative, so on. Uh, in the same way, our, our 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 sense experience is constructed to have this kind of push pull relationship to the sense world, which is necessary, biologically necessary. Um, so that if I if I smell that the you know, the milk is off, it's a that's not a pleasant smell. I'm not drawn to it, so I make an effort to oh, I better throw the milk out because it's gone off real oh, sick. So this push pull of our sense experience is, is natural. It's, it's okay. Uh, but it is quite addictive. Not addictive in a, in a sort of drug sense, but it becomes addictive in the sense that our, our attention is preoccupied with this push-pull going on all the time. And that applies not just to our, our sense bodies, but also to to our uh, mental bodies. You know, the, uh, the, the mental realms we get into, our emotions and our thoughts and our views and opinions can be very, very attractive uh, and very compelling or very horrible, and we try to get rid of them. So the... One of the things we try to look at in contemplative life is, like, what, what is it about our experience from day to day, moment to moment, that takes us away from our real home? What is it about my my conditioning in my society, in my place, that I'm, I, I just can't stay home? Why? Why is that? And I would contemplate that way if I saw that this coming home was important. If I didn't see that as important. I saw excitement was, was more important, or... Creativity was more important, or or uh, uh, just the temperature in the room, pleasure. If I thought that was important, then I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing this. So without dismissing pleasure, and without um, neglecting pain, without kind of just saying that they're right or wrong, um, this this way of finding your real home is a it's a it's a kind of spiritual sense, isn't it? It's a kind of Inner t- in- intuition that we have—that there's not there must be more than just pleasure. There must be more than just this struggle with my emotional life. There must be something deeper, and we touch it every now and then. And we touch it with when you you see something quite truly awesome, like a rainbow, or uh, you see like, maybe a, the beauty of a child's smile. Something really stops your mind, and you're just present to the to that. To whatever is going on, so those of us who are on a spiritual path have, have, have that intuition that there is something profoundly good and peaceful about about a, there's a human possibility for that. So the way Buddhism approaches that, so so you have to have that interest, I think, right? So we won't be here. So the, the way Buddhism approaches that is through through the understanding of awareness. As something which can be a real home, and then the investigation around those things which preoccupy my attention. So if I'm if I'm preoccupied with um, uh, creativity, you know, every time I want to do something all the time, uh, I, I I read uh, I do one thing and then I want to pick up another thing and another thing. I say, well, actually, I haven't been home for a long time. I'm just, my mind keeps going into one project after another. Or maybe it's just like reading novels. There's nothing wrong with them. Novels are fine, they're interesting. But I like pick up one and I go to another, another, another. And I begin to see with well, the mind is always externalized. It's always needing to go to an object. And I say, oh yeah, that's, a, that's interesting. That's a, that's a habit I have, don't I? Every time there tends to be a chance to just stop, I pick something else up. It might be, it might be like worry, you know, something like that, where I, uh, you know, I'm worrying about family or worrying about monastery or my own health, and then, then someone says something happens, I realize, oh, that's an unfounded worry. It's not really worrisome, and I pick something else up. It doesn't really matter, because my mind has become habituated to worry. So it's not proud. <laughs> it will pick anything to worry about, and and these these sort of. Patterns of distraction are 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 very much seen better if we meditate. So when we meditate and we deliberately develop the home ground, cultivate the sense of being home, then as our habits take us out of the sense of objects in a way which is unskillful. And we need to we need to do that, but in a way that's unskillful it's like a compulsion or or a a restlessness that always needs to be done. You know, like um, We need to attend to our responsibilities, we need to attend to our bodies, and we need to uh, attend to the problems of the, uh, of the world in, in whatever way we can. But if our mental space is so preoccupied with those things, then we, list, we, miss, we miss that spiritual possibility. Whereas if we begin to really touch home, and abide at home, and know what that means, and do that again and again and again. We have a place that's very refreshing. It's very energizing and 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 uh, very helpful. And actually, we function better. We're more creative. We have more compassion. We really, we really do we do function better. Um, so the, the the teachings talk about the kind of various things we get attached to, or, and one of the ways um, that I like it is 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 um, the way, non uh, uh, contemplated the four noble truths. He said that switched He said the mind going out is the cause, and the result of the mind going out is suffering. Now, not suffering in terms of uh, like horrible, terrible thing, but the, 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 say let's say the mind has lost its home ground. It's forgotten its home ground, and so it's out in in kind of alienated refugee land. So the mind going out is the cause and the result of the mind going out is suffering. The mind knowing the mind is the path and the result of the mind knowing the mind is the end of suffering. The suffering here is it's a, the word dukkha and it's, it's, the, it's the sense of, let's say, let's say, not being at home just for the sake of this, this description, not being home. So. Uh, as a, as a contemplative um, little piece of of teaching, you can you can start to employ that. So you 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 take that. The last part you say, the mind knowing the mind. So what does that mean? So what I was suggesting is when when I know it feels hot. I know I feel sweaty, and I know maybe I don't like it. I really know that's what it feels not liking, and that's what sweaty feels like, then it's the mind knowing the mind. I'm present, I know what's going on. Uh, But if I, you know, after a while, maybe I'm sweating and I start to fall asleep, oh God, I don't want to be here, it's too hot, I don't like this. That's the mind going out into aversion which is maybe caused by the heat, and that's suffering. So the the condition of unpleasantness is still the same, right, it's still hot, it's too hot. But the mind now going out and believing in that it's too hot and then adding to it with a sense of self and ego and all that is, is the cause of suffering. And then at any moment, I can always come home. So then I realize that my mind is maybe complaining. Ah, it's too hot. You know, why did, shouldn't have come for meditation. Should have gone for a swim or something like that. These thoughts come up for me too. Um, and then you notice, oh that's thinking averse thoughts or uh, that's think that's thinking disappointment thoughts oh yeah, that's what the mind's doing mind knowing the mind and you're home again and you're home again now you can say that, that that's a very simple exercise but you know, it's really hard to keep it up really hard it's easy to maybe get the theory; it's very really hard to actually do that and so that's the idea of of training in buddhism that that um we, we, we get we get the right understanding. So for me this is a really lovely little kind of model to work with. We get the right understanding, understand where home is, and then we try to train to just come home. And this isn't this isn't like trying to get some kind of special experience. If we're trying to get some kind of sp- special experience in the future, then we can feel utterly frustrated. But the awake mind is awake to all experience. so I might feel really, really annoyed at someone, or I might feel very, very tender towards someone, I might feel very uh, intimidated by someone, I might feel very self-critical, I might be uh, full of uh, ego thoughts, but it's all just stuff. It's all just stuff. And and when I know it just as that, then the mind knowing the mind is the cause, and the result of the mind knowing the mind is, is the end of suffering. And there is a point in that in these different you know, patterned attachments that we get caught up into, where, there's a point where we notice it, don't we? And there's a point where in my, my complaining mind or my fantasizing mind, I notice, boy, you're really, you're really going for this one. And that point is actually the end of suffering. Because now the mind's knowing the mind. I actually know what's going on. Trouble is, I don't hold that point. I don't know how to sustain that point. And then I maybe drop into self disparagement. Or drop into doing the same thing with 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 another set of thinking, so like let's say like, like a, just as an example worry maybe I I am um, I'm really worried about something and then then something comes up and that worries I see it's not really a well-founded worry and I don't notice that it's actually the worry's ended well this is the end of worry mind knowing the mind no I just pick up something else and so so what we fail to see is there's a gap there there's actually an end to these patterns of going out, these patterns of, of the mind being uh, attentive to objects. So in meditation we are attending to objects but it's by, uh, through the mind knowing the mind. so okay so I'm suggesting in this meditation uh, feel the heat, uh, listen to sound, get to know the knowing. notice that that, that heat, and sound are things that arise and cease in the knowing. So you say, yeah, no, actually, awareness has no boundaries. You kind of notice that. I mean, awareness really isn't in this room. <coughs> actually, this room is in awareness. Huh. Look at that. And that, that's not saying that I'm some kind of omnipotent being. And You know, I'm kind of... It's, it's how I experience life, that, that, that this room is in awareness the heat is in awareness. and you, get, you start to get that perspective and then what you, you begin to see is when when you notice the habits of mind cease, well, awareness has always been there. It actually never went. It seems like I haven't been aware, but actually that's just a thought right now. That perception that I wasn't aware, all I can really know is that's the perception that has arisen, that I wasn't aware. And you begin to just trust that. That, that sense of trusting the ending of something uh, is, I think, a very important part of the meditative life because what we tend to do is, oh, I should try harder. You know, I should try to become someone who's going to be more mindful. And actually, we don't see that that very becoming is still an object of mind. It's just me thinking I shouldn't be this way. But before I thought that, before I thought that, the mind was awake to know that thinking is going on. So this moment of, of thought ceasing, or, or uh, the mind knowing the mind, that moment arising, to me is a tremendously important part of uh, understanding where peace lies. And so I notice in myself, I'm meditating, maybe I've got maybe some complex uh, problems in the monastery, and naturally my mind uh, has been conditioned to go to that, I've talked. I've talked to the treasurer, I've talked to the monks, and it's a complicated thing. So I've created intentions in the mind. And so those intentions have to come up. There's nothing wrong with that. So thinking is very, very natural. But so that's conditioned by all that I've done beforehand. So I've, I've talked to people and we've tried to solve a complex problem. And it come into meditation. What's going to come up into mind is the complex problem. It has to how else could it be? And that's just the—that's what we mean by resultant karma. That's all. That's the, the resultant karma of those activities. Is that kind of thinking? I'm not thinking about um, Arnold Schwarzenegger or or the sands, right? Because <laughs> my mind hasn't been conditioned to think that. So I see that actually this arising of thought processes is natural. It's not that I'm sitting down intentionally, deliberately trying to think of the problem. In fact, they're not not trying to think of the problem, it just comes up. So I begin to see that thought is actually not me thinking deliberately, it's just a a formation like heat, like the sound of of the, the wind. It's just a natural formation. And as I see it that way, I begin to let go of this... Um, Self identity with thought, and just try to get rid of thought. I said, "Oh no, no. thinking is this way." And you begin to see the end of thought. It, as I see the end of thought, I don't get—I don't get this kind of uh, restlessness. I have to—I have to try harder to get rid of thought. Actually, I'm, I'm here already. I'm here already. And in that here-ness, uh I begin to have—I begin to trust that rather than trying to become something. So when I when I ask you to lit, to feel the heat in the body or the sound of the the um, fan, I'm not asking you to become anything, am I? I mean, it's not like whatever the sound is, it's fine. It's not that. So it's not a becoming; it's an awakening. It's an awakening. So where do we where do we get attached, and where do we um, where does our mind go out into the objects, and, and which is the cause of suffering? Well, one is the obvious. It's just uh, uh, you say what like modern distractions in in the, uh, iPhones. Say that's a very obvious one. People just glue to their iPhones, so their their mind is always out. Which isn't immoral. There's nothing wrong with that. But as long as the mind is out and fascinated by uh, whatever is on the screen, it's not available for the peace of the heart. So it's unavailable. It's unavailable. So one of the words I've always liked is make yourself available by knowing the way things are. When I just feel the heat in the body and if you, and, if, and, I, and listen to the wind, I become available to peace. Because I'm no longer distracted by heat. I'm available to peace. And if I can hold that availability, that attentive presence, then I begin to see that the background behind sense experiences are peaceful. Well, it's hard to notice. It's... It's easier to notice fear, um, so that that's one thing. Obviously, that just the kind of distractedness of of our of our of our culture, and and, and those kinds of things. Uh, but one of the things that very very much get uh, get us caught up, and 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 the things that we get attached to is uh, uh, views and opinions. These are um, the Buddha spoke about the power of what we call padana, the attachment to views and opinions. Now, views and opinions are natural, we need them again. You know, if you didn't have uh, some views and opinions about, say, diet and cooking, you know, we wouldn't have a meal today. Uh, so views and opinions are fine. They can come from experience, from, from knowledge and so on. But what, what we mean by this attachment to views and opinions is when, when we don't see them as simply constructs of mind, which are conditioned by all kinds of factors, and when they are, when they, when the world doesn't fit those views and opinions, we suffer. So let's say, uh, our, I was thinking yesterday about disappointment. Someone was disappointed with me. <laughs> okay, uh, and I'm trying to say, you know, teachers are disappointing. their nature is that they're sometimes disappointing, and children are disappointing and husbands are disappointing and wives are disappointing and monasteries are disappointing and your own mind is most disappointing oftentimes because it's just natural. Disappointment is a natural condition. Now, when I hold to an opinion, and I don't even see it sometimes that say this person was holding to the opinion that I should be a certain way. Right? Which which was valid, yeah. <laughs> I should be assumed but I wasn't I wasn't that particular way I wasn't immoral I was just being human and uh, what they held to was they held to the, 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 the opinion that uh, this monk should be this way and he's not that way and I'm disappointed right that's a natural occurrence that's a natural occurrence if I was acting immorally then the person calls me on it and I say yep yeah, okay But since I wasn't, it's just human emotions, what I tried to indicate was actually, um, is the problem me, or is the problem you, or is the problem just attachment to a viewpoint of how life should be? And that disappointment, which comes up from that attachment, is just a condition, and it shows you that attachment to any kind of viewpoint is going to bring you disappointment. And I don't know if a person understood it. I gave it a go. <laughs> but but to, 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 you could see that if, if that person then walks away and says, oh, nice, he's just giving me that Zen stuff. You know, he's just escaping. And that person holds to that view and opinion. It, it, it could be right. It could be right in some sense, but they're holding to that view and opinion and their mind is preoccupied with that view and opinion. Right? So their mind's preoccupied with thought. Now, if I have a view and opinion about someone, and I think that... Uh, I could be completely right, but it doesn't have to cause me suffering. It doesn't have to cause me... I don't have to hold it in my mind for long, long periods of time. I just say, well, that's an opinion, it's a view, it's valid. So let's say um, the plumber comes. It's not our... we a very good plumber, but if a plumber comes and he does a bad job, right... Then I have an opinion that this is not a good plumber. And if someone says, Do you know a good plumber? I said, No, my plumber's not good. So that's 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 the viewpoint I have, and it comes from experience, and that's natural. If I didn't have that, it could function. But to hold to the view and opinion, to hate this plumber, to hate his family, to be disappointed in him, to kind of every 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 time I think of the plumber, he you know, he ripped me off or my toilet is still leaking. To be just preoccupied with this plumber would be suffering. Would be suffering, and and this comes up so much, doesn't it? Like views and opinions about how we should ourselves be. They're very strong. Like you know, our culture has a tremendous amount of self self judgment and very harsh sometimes about what we should be. And so we 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 have a kind of we hold to a viewpoint of what. Like for me, what a perfect monk is, or a perfect senior monk is, or a perfect teacher, a perfect abbot, how I should be. I compare myself to Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Sumedho, how I should be, how I should be. And that's, a, that's a recipe for disaster, for suffering. The other would be, well, it doesn't really matter, and I just goof off all the time. That's also a recipe for disaster. But uh, what, what, our, what my teachers have always recommended, well, first of all, just notice the way things are. Come home first, and then see what are you creating around that now. What kind of suffering are you creating around that now? And that's the holding of a viewer opinion. So, so in in, in this case, as in this, I'm trying to expand this example. So I I, I uh, um, like I, sometimes we get people who are um, who have had. Unfortunate experiences with Roman Catholicism and that. Um, And and, and so they have a a memory of Roman Catholicism, which is unpleasant for them. Not that I I don't want to make any judgments about any teaching, but for them, for this person, um, thinking one person, they have a very strong, strong sense of that was really a negative experience. They didn't like that at all. So then they come here, and they see us doing our rituals, and they have the same response, the same reaction. Oh, it's just a bunch of ritual. And they don't like it. Now, the ones who are mindful, we see. oh, this is the way it is now. Actually, these people aren't evil. It's just what they do. And they see. oh, there's this reaction. And that reaction, I can know as an object in the person's home again. But that's quite hard to see because it's so culturally, uh, in this particular person, so ingrained in their mind because of Whatever family history and childhood history they have, it's so ingrained in the mind, they don't see that that's something they're creating. They see it as a kind of reality. And then they hold to that reality, and they have a lot of trouble with the rituals. And I've, I've talked to people who feel like that, and, and they'll say, you know, it took me five years before I could bow. And then, you know we always say, oh, don't bow. It's not a problem. Don't make it a problem. And then they finally bow, and they just watch. They watch this. This is very simple. There's nothing. It's just a bit of body flexing. You know? There's nothing going on. But they notice that wow, with this as condition, there's this strong perception of wrongness in some kind of way. And they begin to observe that. They observe that. And then they like they bow quite deliberately. They feel awful about it. Squirrels. Or bears. Um and they'll work it through. Some will, some, some won't. And and we get we have a lot of this kind of conditioning around, you know, what a monk should be or what a woman should be or a husband should be or a wife should be or what a man should be or, or uh you know, a lot and and certainly we have we have moral boundaries that we agree upon, so a monk, you know, uh, for us, a monk shouldn't be using money and shouldn't be driving a car. And if, if we had that, we'd say, well, you know, you're not welcome to practice here. Go practice somewhere else. Uh, so certainly, you know, there, there are boundaries. But just the sense of, of, of um, a constant struggle with the way things are, a constant fight with the way things are, is one of the problems of holding to views and opinions, how it should be. But this is the way it is now. So if you take that as a kind of mantra... It sounds so, so kind of, such a tautology. This is the way it is now. Of course, it couldn't be any other way. But you actually, you actually make conscious this moment, how it actually is. What is it like now? And you're home. And then you see, but I don't want it this way. I want it some other way. It might be around just feeling sleepy or or whatever. And then is that not wanting, skillful or unskillful? So I see in myself that I'm, I'm hypercritical of someone, or 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 really intimidated by someone. I say, oh, this is the way it is now. Now, I don't really, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be hypercritical of someone. And how can I go beyond that? You know, that's skillful, isn't it? It's not just self-judgmental. I shouldn't be hypercritical, and I should just, but that that's not really being aware. Of. So first and foremost in all our practices, this is the way it is now we awaken, we open the mind, and we say, okay, how, how does my mind now go out into this hypercriticism? What is, what's the mechanism that draws me into those kinds of thinkings? And I begin to have a sustained awareness around this habit of the mind going out into objects. So I begin to use that as my practice. Okay, I come home. What was it like? What does it really feel like? It feels this way. And then I, then I look at some and I think, they're too slow, they're too fast, they're sloppy, um... You know, they shouldn't, and I just noticed my mind's always doing that, and then you know I noticed it's always doing that to me. Uh, you should you didn't do it right. Should have done it better. Should have done it bigger, and I begin to oh, that's an object of mind, and my mindfulness now starts to be bigger than the hypercritical habit, and that's a kind of freedom. It's not the end of the hypercritical habit, but now I see no, that is an object of mind. I'm no longer the subject of that, and as I do that, as I do that then that this strength of, say, in this example, kind of a hypercritical mind, that strength is very much lessened now because it's an object. I see it as an object. And I can, I can, I can moderate it. I can put something else in. And I say, he, you know, he's too slow, but he actually gave me a cup of tea yesterday. <laughs> or he's really, really slow, but he tries hard. Uh, he's really slow, but he's, he's a very moral guy. You know, I, I can moderate it because now I'm awake. I'm not just saying I shouldn't feel this way or believe in it. I find a middle way. I awaken to it, and then I can make choices. And this is what we mean by karma. Karma is intentional actions, intentional speech, and intentional thought. And and if the intention comes from a place of heedlessness and carelessness and, and habit, then I'm just a victim. I'm just a victim of the same old stuff again and again and again. But if I, in this example... The habit of hypercriticism happens to be part of the makeup of this mind. And I begin to make a determination, an intention. I'm going to work with that and see if I can understand it and use criticism skillfully rather than just be hypercritical. I begin, that very intention is good karma because it will lead to more mindfulness and more awareness. And each time I have more mindfulness and awareness, when that hypercritical faculty is functioning, I'll say, is it really worth it? Or what does it feel like? Maybe I'll develop i and you'll notice, does this create tension? And I'll say, yeah, my throat really gets tight when I do this. I get more and more aware of a habit of mind, having a bodily component, and each time I make the intention to be aware of it and make intentions not to just to heedlessly follow it, I create good kamma. And and the the word we use for resultant kamma, we call Vipaka kamma, then the results of in life are in line with those intentions. So even maybe uh, I have to endure this hypercritical tendency for for quite a few years, because maybe I've indulged in it for 30 or 40 years, it has strength, but now I know, I I, I see it, and it comes up, but I'm not going to be hypocritical to myself. I just know it's just a habit, it's just the kama, it's resultant kama, and I keep I keep making the right intentions for it to die away. And and it does die away. It does die away because it has no more fuel, it hasn't been fed, it, it, it runs its course. And there's a there's a there's a there's there's kind of levels of happiness we find in the spiritual life when we do this kind of work. First there's the level of just seeing, well that's not who you are. That's just an object of mind. That's a great relief just to see just to see this as as, as a kind of energy that comes up. And then to see yourself in in a, in a phase where where normally you might function from a a, 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 a negative habit and you're not going there anymore. You don't do that. You know? Oh wow, look, I didn't do that. So there's a kind of freedom in the mind which isn't from it's from it's the good Kamma, isn't it? It's the resultant Kamma of, of of doing the work that each of us is doing in this way. And it's actually very simple if you can keep coming back to the principle of what is what is my real home. If you keep coming back to that and remembering that, then you start to contemplate what takes me up from my real home. So then if one wants to get distracted deliberately, fine. So if, if one you know, says, so I'm just sick of this Buddhist meditation, I just want to you know listen to some loud music, or something. fine, do it, go for it, see what the result is. See what the result is, right? So it's... It's not like a straitjacket where you can't do anything, but you're kind of not aware. Now, obviously, to do your experiments outside of moral boundaries is dangerous. So, you know, robbing banks to see if you, you know, I wouldn't suggest it. But just in the ordinary course of events, you, 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 you do learn by experimenting and trying stuff out. But this principle of coming home is very beautiful, very simple, very simple, because it's always there. Home is always there, awareness is always there. It's always available, Uh, and sense experience is always going to change and be attractive or repulsive. That's going to be there. And to negotiate that, to do it well, uh, and to have a spiritual inclination means that not only do we find our real home, but our expression in the world around us becomes uh, less egotistical, I think, uh, uh, less motivated by fear and desire, uh, less motivated by suffering. And we can offer a lot, you know. As human beings, we can we can we can, uh, we can be tremendously giving and caring and, and, and so on. But sometimes we don't have that energy of giving and caring. We just have to endure a lot of negative states. That's all right. That's all right. You know, this is the way it is now. So you come back to that, and they say, "But I don't want it to be this way." How? Yeah, but it is. It's this way now, and a lot of that requires endurance. So if, if the mind is throwing up, like let's say fire. Uh, one example I like to give is a, I, I cared for my mom for quite a few years in Ottawa, and when she died, she was ninety-six. It was a timely death. It was, you know, it was fine, but I was so exhausted that I had two months of quite very negative states of mind. Very kind of um, just just hard to figure out. Actually, you know, this is probably just emotional exhaustion, just physical exhaustion. And I just had to endure them for, for, for two months. It's just not long, considering I took care of her for nine years. And then she's my mom, right? But it wasn't it wasn't wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And then some of the people who were here thought there's something wrong with me. I said, how else could it be? What did you expect? Smiling viridem. <laughs> but so I, I just knew, well, that's just, this is just something which is unpleasant. I have to go through. Like if you... Um, you have a stomach cramp. You just have to go through it until it goes. Or a leg cramp. And so that just witnessing that even even that kind of really negative. After, after what? That was in my... i have been a mom for about 38 years. So if I thought that I should, somehow my mother dies. It's all impermanent. You know, it's all not self. You know, nothing's going to happen. I mean, that would be ridiculous. No, she's my mom. I love her. So, so the, 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 the human emotional body feels things, it responds to life, and that's just the way it is. It's neither right nor wrong. And just, just watching that, uh, watching what, because I was very curious, okay, how's it going to feel when mom dies? Because up until then I was just so busy with the caregiving, so full on, that I just didn't, I just had to kind of put everything aside, just keep going, keep going, and, and okay, okay, what's going to happen now? And uh, at first there was a kind of uh, blankness in hey, what's happened, and and then uh, a, a lot of love, a lot of beautiful feelings, feelings of loss. But then just kind of just just really kind of angry thoughts and depressed thoughts. But no big deal, and and so so I had to endure that, but that wasn't my fault, was it? It's not like it's wrong to have depressing thoughts or. Have to endure negative things. It's just natural, just natural consequence of being an emotional being, uh, being connected to people in, in strong, strong ways. And if 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 one really takes a serious or say makes the sense of a uh, real home profound, uh, and and, and uh, integrates that into one's world view, then you, you keep remembering that oh, this is you know, these emotions are not my real home. You know, the transient, they come and they go. My real home is this awareness. And so you train all the time, you train with whatever, with awareness, awareness of change. So, my mom, just to finish off, I was in California and uh, I was visiting Ajahn Pasano and I had this dream, I think it's California, and I had this dream my mother, when, when my mother was a uh, alive, she, she lived in the Glebe and she had a terrace on the fourth story of a condo and we used to set up this beautiful potted garden for her and my record was I think about 65 pot plants and so we had tomatoes and cucumbers and maybe 10% were vegetables and then the rest were flowers, it was gorgeous. And mom hadn't been able to garden for a long time and she hadn't even developed the, the terrace because she couldn't get over without fear of falling, so I made a ramp and then uh, I would take her out and she was just just so happy, she was just so happy, it was lovely to see her happy and she loved to, to pick the tomatoes and then we'd get a cucumber, you know, it's kind of really uh, made her feel um, alive because her senses, she had macular degeneration, she couldn't walk in her mind; was very clear. So this was a great source of joy. Springtime would come, and uh, we'd plan the garden, and then I'd go out with someone. She couldn't; she didn't leave the flat much. And we'd bring these pots, and she'd get all excited, and then uh, uh, she would watch me set up the pots. And so it was a kind of a beautiful spring, summer kind of experience together. Very important for both of us. So back to the dream. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm sitting with some monks and this coffin comes in with uh, six pallbearers and this regal blue covering uh, on, the, uh, on the coffin. And my mom's one of the pallbearers. And I see my mom and I say, Whee! I was so happy to see her, right? It's this kind of incredible joy in my heart. So then she and the pallbearers in the coffin disappear somewhere into kind of a cloudy upper staircase, floor. And I rush up there, and then she's lying on her deathbed. I'm not sad at all. I'm really happy to see her. And uh, I kind of go up to her, and she's trying to whisper something. And I put my ear close to her, and say, What is it, Mom? What is it? Do you need some water? What is it? And she says don't forget to take, take care of the tomatoes. <laughs> and for me, that was just so, one of the best dreams of my life. There was so much mom, and so much uh, what she would say to me. And then all that negativity gone. It was like, you know, she had come to say, uh, everything's all right, just don't forget the tomatoes. And all that negative lifting, it was like the, the whole thing was ended. Ended in a, in a, in a kind of really beautiful way. And these kinds, you know, dreams and things like that, those are, they're mysterious, aren't they? We don't know what they're about. And sometimes life is like that. It resolves itself in a really beautiful way, right? And that's the way it is. And then sometimes it doesn't. It kind of lingers in sort of uh, negative patterns you can't figure out. But if your real home is just the way it is, then things won't resolve, resolve themselves. They have to. They move and they change according to their own nature.